Welcome to the Thought Feeder Podcast. I'm Joel Goodman. With me, as always, is the nearly unflappable John Stephen Stansel. Nearly. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> exactly. We're joined today by our friend Mike Rutwalski, who is one of the founders of Gasmark 8, uh, an agency that does a ton of good web and digital strategy work for not-for-profits and higher education and tons of other things lots of stuff on the on the like the teaching and learning side of stuff lately yep mike we're really we're really glad that you're here thanks for coming on thank you yeah it's awesome to be here we wanted to talk a little bit about the admission process for new college students for undergrad students and especially the changes that have happened coming into COVID 19 and the pandemic lockdown and stuff and mike's in a unique position where he has a son who recently made his decision of which college to attend but he went through the process of being a prospect into being an admitted student through the normal times and now the post normal time. I don't know the end times. Where are we? I don't know what we're in. So anyway, we just wanted uh, we wanted to talk to Mike a little bit about what he experienced as a prospective student's parent, as well as what what his son experienced in all of this, and and hopefully shine some light onto just the practices that a lot of schools have been utilizing and and putting out there and and maybe like which ones don't work and which ones do work and which ones they should double down on and which ones you should just get rid of so hopefully this is a helpful helpful discussion mike let's get started first off could you just give us a a rundown of the kind of the communication process you saw from colleges and universities as they were interacting with you as parents and and with your son as a as a prospect sure so uh as you mentioned he graduated this year I would say the the communication flow really started the spring of his junior year. And I think that's when the PSAT lists got bought by a lot of institutions. Yeah. So the email flow started then. It started with emails and a decent amount of print, which kind of surprised me, you know, um, probably should back up and also say that, you know, I've worked in higher ed for nearly 20 years on the marketing side of the website. So I always knew how the sausage was made. But what kind of surprised me coming on the other side as a parent was just the volume. Mm. I was stunned by how inundated my kid was with emails, with print pieces, really throughout the whole process. I never understood the volume because we were always sending our prospect pools and then our applicant pool and then our accepted students and then our deposit students. And I really only understood the flow in terms of that sliver of people, but I didn't know or, or comprehend the volume that came through. And it was a lot. It was just a ton of stuff. And I think overwhelming, if it was overwhelming to me, I can only imagine what it would be like for a 17, 18 year old kid to get that volume of, of stuff. Jeez. It was a lot. And he applied to something like eight schools, eight schools. Eight schools. Yep. Yep. So eight kind of went eight for eight, which is nice. And, you know, it was really surprising too the post application flow from some of those schools as well. A lot really pushed early action yeah and gave some financial incentives around that as well like uh you know apply now or or before this date you'll get your you know here's a housing discount or get a six thousand dollar grant or yeah your your two you know early filer award you seemed like early early this year in this cycle you know the people were starting to start to sweeten the pot really early Mm. earlier than i thought they would so that was institutions saying here's a dining upgrade to the next level of dining plan for free (laughs) 
a Six Flags uh, offer, you know, like buy the buy the Six Flags membership and we'll we'll upgrade your meal pass for whatever. Yep. Like. Yep. Cut to the front of the line. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was one one school said, here's your books like we will rent you your books for all four years. So it was, you know, the institutions really came out early and I was kind of pleasantly surprised by how forward and and often those schools were communicating throughout the the application process and then i was stunned at how some of those schools even after we applied like there was long periods of silence Hmm. and just they didn't they didn't communicate it was weeks and weeks and weeks you know i often had to like ping and say hey is there any movement on this did you even get anything yeah so you know from the parent side something like an application status portal. Oh yeah. Those were things that we checked a lot Yeah, just to make sure, you know, trying not to be too helicoptery as a parent, but you know, did you get our transcript? Did you get our SAT scores? Did you get our ACT scores? Did you get our recommendation letters? Did you get, you know, the actual application? And, and so that was a great tool for us that we used quite a bit was those application portals. doubt that they understand that in the realm of just how they're communicating with those prospective students as, as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think there's a point too, that more schools could maybe be better about in your process emails, always copy the parents. Mm. Most of them did that, but a few I was surprised didn't. And so these are again, big schools, people I thought would really have their process and stuff pretty set, but I had to always go to Evan and say, Hey, did you hear from this school? Like, are they sending stuff? Because to me, it just felt I wasn't getting it, the parent things. So I didn't know like it, what was happening. So schools, loop your parents in, the earlier, the better. Out of the eight that your son applied to and was accepted to, how many of those had portals for, for parents? All of them were like, were you surprised by the level of technology that was there? Were they all kind of using the same platforms? Like Most were Slate, yeah. which is fine, you know? Pretty, pretty good. One really didn't have one, which surprisingly, and their, all of their registrations applications were actually in Target X. So that was kind of uh, interesting. Um, but yeah, most of the, even, you know, whether it was a state school here in Ohio or some of the privates in Ohio and PA and New York that we applied to, the vast majority were slate kind of portals. That makes sense. I mean, that's what I've, that's what I've seen yeah. working with schools. We're moving to slate right now. Yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Everyone is. And like not to not to knock Slate. Like I think I think Slate is actually probably the best of what exists out there. But if you talk to any developer on staff that's had to work with Slate, they are not happy. I've struggled even with making email templates for it. Yeah. And this was, you know, four or five years ago. So I hope maybe it's gotten better, but I know even during those times it was kind of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, one of the project, one of the bigger projects that Bravery has done in the last several years was an accepted students portal thing for Loyola Marymount University. And we did it in WordPress, but connected back to Slate, mostly because Slate just wasn't flexible enough. Or really, it was that Slate didn't allow us to, one, do the cool things we wanted to do, and two, the 
trying to do something that looks good in slate is it's it's almost impossible their templating is not good there, there's just a lot of issues with that and so like i've had to deal with with that side of it and i have i have big problems with their api rate limiting it's just terrible anyway uh going down a nerdy path uh <laughs> so we built something really cool and we kind of crushed melt but it was it was a long slog through doing with slate's kind of mess of things at the time uh, so along the lines of communication, what what did you what did you notice pre pre lockdown and post lockdown from how universities communicated with, uh, I guess with you and 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 with Evan? Let's talk pre lockdown, pre quarantine. It became apparent really fast the four or five vendors that everyone uses to do search with. Um, I could tell immediately from the email and the language and the format and the style what vendor what school use what vendor interesting so this this fall was a huge amount of like gated content emails so dear evan we think we'd, you'd be a great fit at x click here to download our guide and then insert title here to get them into the flow so that was everything from five tips on how to apply to college <laughs> six ways to nail i mean there were listicles six ways to nail your interview three ways to look at a college, seven things to ask on your tour. And then it was a closing from admissions director. And then PS, don't forget to grab your, your special gated content. So that was one. And the other one was the designs were always the same layout with the same button style leading to like uh, uh, sometimes a Pearl based page or just really the buttons were always in the same place with the same structure. So, I mean, I picked up on that and I think he picked up on that as well, that like everybody doing search was kind of the same. Were they different enough to allow you to still feel like they were separate institutions or, or did, do you think there might've been confusion from, from a student's perspective after getting, after getting, you know, six of these emails or whatever else. That was six a day. I mean, after like <laughs> number 30 in three weeks, like everybody did search about the same time in the fall. And really after, you know, a couple, you're like, wait, what school is that? Cause it was always like, dear Evan, we think you'd be a great fit here you know, or come join, we think you'd be a great tiger or Trojan or whatever. And like early on in a process in a cold email, I don't know, to me, that was something that didn't resonate with him or with us to mm. like sell your community pieces later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't, don't lead with that, you know, lead with your outcomes, your affordability, your accessibility, that kind of stuff. But don't come at me right away with the, we think you'd make a great Ram or whatever, because <laughs> that means nothing yet. Save that for the, like, later in the flow, when now I've got yeah. to make that emotional decision of where's the right fit for me? And am I going to be a better Ram or am I going to be a better Duke? Am I going to be a better Zip or whatever? So that that was, you know, some of those pieces, especially some of the print pieces that came early on had that kind of, like, you 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 would do great here you'll be a great x and it was just it was kind of surprising so pre-lockdown a lot of gated content a lot of print pieces a lot of kind of cold call print pieces that we never requested so again list buying for sure but i was just shocked at people sending huge view books unsolicited in the mail to a school that we never heard of or we had one 
from a school in Nashville. I forget the name. It was a folder with three letters in it and another side full of packets and come to campus for a competition where we're giving away a full scholarship. Like it was just bizarre that that, again, that was your lead in from a school we have never heard of. So just really weird content choices for those initial reach outs that we saw. And again, you know, I think so much is about brand awareness because he didn't go down the road with a lot of those schools that cold called him. Cold called, cold emailed, cold print mailed. They didn't get much traction here. I don't think we visited any, certainly didn't apply to any. It was it was ones that we either had some name recognition of or, you know, had a relationship with. And again, I had worked at two of the eight schools and <laughs> went to one. So I'd worked at two, went to one of the uh, of the schools that he applied to. So that was that was kind of pre-lockdown. Um, everything shifted in March. And I'm sure for, you know, our enrollment friends, like that was just uh, just a crisis because all of the things that we normally would have done, accepted student days, big and open houses, big pushes to get the kids to campus, like we couldn't do. Yeah. So everybody shifted really fast to a ton of Zoom events. So I think there was a little bit of Zoom burnout, but what it what the positive thing was and allowed us to do is they some of the schools really did department and program specific Zooms mm. calls with a current student, a faculty member from that department and an admissions person. And those events like were actually really helpful to focus in on the program, to be able to ask questions really specific deeper dive questions than you would do either in a everybody hundred person zoom or even a hundred person open house event. So, so those were pretty nice events. And I, and I think, you know, I, I wonder if schools will keep those things even after everything opens back up eventually, because they were, they were really as close to kind of one-on-one -on -one you could get hmm. without me getting to New York city to be able to talk to a faculty member in that department. So those were cool. And I think post lockdown, we saw a lot more personalized emails. So not just dear Evan, but actually like more program specific that he was interested in or applied to. Mm. And, and the it, content itself was more, more targeted than just like customized from a insert first name here in MailChimp or whatever. Right. And I think, you know, I know that would happen anyway, but I think everybody doubled down on it this spring because there weren't those opportunities to come to campus or one of the schools we applied to had an event here in Cleveland like two days before everything shut down. So again, there was 150 people and kids and parents in a bar here in Cleveland. So it was a fun event, but that's not a, a, a time to like really sit down with a professor and pick his brain right. or his or her brain. But, you know, these kind of Zooms were a great a great way to do that, especially for institutions that hadn't done a lot of that before. I mean, they had to scramble quickly to get those on board. And I think there was a little bit of, we were in one session that did get Zoom bombed and that stuff happens. But I think, you know, for the schools that weren't doing those kind of departmental live chats and other than here's a one-on-one -on -one or ask a student a question, you know, I think I think they were really helpful. In addition to, to Zoom, I've seen a lot of schools doing like Instagram lives with questions like that. Did you participate in anything like that? No. Um, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't as parents, Evan may have further down the process, but what was great about the zoom meetings is that like, we could all sit in the living room and do those sessions together. So, you know, we hooked up a, 
laptop to the big TV in the living room, and we could all participate and talk amongst each other about questions or, or thoughts during the session. I just think there was a little bit more interactivity because we could turn on the cameras. We had the live chat and those things compared to an Instagram live, like if you are a lot of people and they're commenting, you know, you could miss a lot of stuff as it kind of scrolls by. So, you know, the Zoom was, a, was the right platform uh, to do that. And interestingly enough, all of the schools were doing Zoom. So nobody was doing Teams. Nobody was doing Hangouts. Um, everybody was was on the Zoom platform. While we're on the topic of COVID-19 and how, how things have kind of changed post-lockdown, what, what does the communication look like now as plans for fall are kind of always a little bit in flux and kind of communicating with these students as, you know, freshman, first-year students coming to campus and parents who were all on pins and needles about what, what it's going to look like? What sort of communications are you seeing? The school, um, and again, Evan's deposit is going to John Carroll in the fall. They have been good, really good about keeping us in the loop, even early on, you know, leading up to decision processes. You know, we were getting uh, notifications and emails about, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen in the fall. To once he deposited, start get, we started getting copied on emails that I think went to the campus community, really talking more about their plans. Um, and they're going to go to this high flex model in the fall. So that has been helpful for us to start to be included in there. And we're also getting some emails from, you know, the admissions office and our admissions counselor, even though, you know, we've kind of transitioned in orientation and away from that side, they've still have been good about sharing that information. And again, a great resource is going to sound weird is the parents Facebook group. I don't know. I know schools may still do kind of student groups, but a couple of the parent groups that we were in after we, you know, applied and got accepted were pretty active and lots of, of info in there. And then the John Carroll one has shifted from look at my kid, he's going to John Carroll, which posts are fine. It's good to kind of brag, but shifted over to like now asking questions because the admissions VP is in that group and answers questions pretty actively. So she's great and has been super helpful and people asking questions from, you know, are we going to be on campus? How many masks should I bring? What cleaning stuff does he need? You know, all the way through to, can I bring my hot pot to, do I bring a laptop or, you know, what kind of laptop should I buy? So that parents group has remained active and has been a source where, you know, we can ask questions and get feedback from the school. Again, from from the VP on down have been active in that group. It's really interesting to me to hear that shift where on the admissions side, it's always been about the class of whatever group. And we, you know, we've all heard the stories of how those are declining in activity, but it makes a ton of sense that, especially since, since, you know, when all of our parents ended up being on Facebook, what, like eight years ago and, you know, like, uh, but I mean, especially seeing as a lot of folks that are in our general age bracket who are parents and have kids that are entering college, like that does become a natural place for them versus for us trying to market intentionally to to the student or to the prospective student. It makes a lot of sense because I think the yeah. bulk of the comments I see on our, our universe Facebook page are not our, our parents tagging yeah. the student saying, hey, little Johnny, you need to be aware of this. Just just flagging it for you rather than students themselves interacting. Well, and this was stuff we were talking about five years ago, well, more than five years ago, like just the increase of parent involvement in all of it. And we a lot of people that were paying attention shifted their digital strategies to incorporate a lot more of the parent communication and, and draw the parent in on, on a website or whatever else, whether they did that right or not is different. But like 
yeah, that's that's a I think that's an interesting development. Mike, I want to talk about some of the physical pieces that you guys got. The print stuff. I know that like a lot of places were sending out swag and whatever else this year. One, like what what are some of the things that, that Evan got that were interesting? And then at the same time, you you mentioned earlier already that a lot of the cold mail pieces and cold emails and stuff that came through didn't really produce a conversion, didn't really make him get in touch or, or send information out. Was that around just the kind of the the anonymity aspect of it? Or was there something that played into it in terms of quality of design, quality of the things that were going out? Like what what were some of the the things there? Let me start with the good, which is some of the pieces that we got from places like the University of Oregon and West Virginia University absolutely gorgeous i mean just the design was incredible the pieces were great i mean just as a design you know print nerd just i just was amazed by how awesome they were i'm a total university of oregon fanboy as far as their design goes their logo is gorgeous their design's great oh so good so good this piece i mean i just it's at the top like all the mail went in a box that we've had over the last year I have pulled that one out more than often. And I pulled the West Virginia one out because, again, really good. And that West Virginia one just, again, the design was great. They had great interactive pieces in there, like a couple of the shareable Spotify URLs. Like you can get those little like mm. designy code things to share. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, a couple points through their piece was like, here's all of our fight songs done by our band on a spotify playlist cool here's our favorite songs about west virginia and you know it's all just john that john denver song but i mean just the way it was integrated beautiful i'll tell you else who surprised me that was really really great pieces that we got was butler university in indiana mm, yeah. indianapolis gorgeous design and what i loved is that the design elements carried over and the themes and even the colors, the kind of accent colors around programs and things like that carried over piece to piece, view book to, you know, view book to view to emails, to websites. I mean, it was just, I just, I had a smile. It was great. And we come back to their kind of personalization. What kind of bulldog are you? Cause it was a great, a great piece. So those pieces really worked again. Not every school has the name recognition of an Oregon or a West Virginia, but a Butler jumped out gorgeous pieces, great, clear, concise messaging. I think the messaging was a big piece. If you get this postcard and picture of kids on the front on campus, on the path, walking on the quad, you know, with headline flip over to two paragraphs, take the next step. Like that has to be really compelling or really personalized or really grab you. Otherwise ends up in the pile, you know? And, and so that's an opportunity. If you are going to cold mail somebody out of the blue from some private college we've never heard of in Michigan. Yeah. Like, I think you can get through, but you've got to have that great piece. You've got to have that. It's got to be impressive. It, yeah. yeah. It's got to stand out because if you've also outsourced, <laughs> you know, postcards and everything to your search as well because here's the other secret i mentioned those five email vendors we got a ton of form letter things that all looked the same must have been from the same vendor so it was the the outer envelope was the same the nonprofit, you know bulk stamp was the same the letters themselves were the same sometimes they had an insert sometimes they didn't so like that's the other thing that that got something on the pile very quickly was three letters today Three colleges I've never heard of. Wow, they all seem to be the same form letter. The envelopes are designed the same. 
in the pile they go. Just personal note, like as a higher ed marketing professional, did you ever find yourself just throwing your hands up in frustration going <laughs> amateurs? Absolutely. And just drive your family nuts with that? Because oh, yeah. you know, we've got a three-year-old right now and I'm just bracing myself for 15 years from now, going on college visits, going, <laughs> I can't believe this. These guys, you're not, you're, I don't care how good the school is. Their marketing isn't on point. You can't go here. Yep. No, absolutely. You know, some of the schools we got stuff from, I just expected better. And either because I know people there or, you know, again, it had some name recognition. And then people I thought would have done as well come back and surprise you with really great pieces. But you're right. I We use this as a process and, and I probably shouldn't have voiced my frustrations as much with the family because I think Evan picked up on that. And towards the end of that process, he'd be like, you know, the design of this isn't very good or, you know, <laughs> I, I trained him. Um, so he definitely picked up on that and, and, and started looking at it towards the end with a critical eye, which is pretty funny. <laughs> so that said, you know, and kind of focusing kind of on the, the, the print piece, but what about, let's talk a little bit about the digital element and, and from, from website to social media, what did you see that you were both pleasantly and maybe not so pleasantly surprised by? And what did you find to be kind of pain points or anything that was effective, particularly effective in the digital front? Yeah, I think we're still struggling with after how many years of making it easy to find an academic program. Hmm. Why in 2020 is that still difficult to do? And why is there so much crap on these homepages that we don't care about? And I know like we say it internally all the time, but the school's leadership feels like well, we've got to have our events calendar there and athletics and whatever. But again, this this process has been so eye-opening for me, having been through the parent side of, you know, we would sit down together and look at 30 schools in the night and go to them and say, okay, Evan's interested in like digital media, digital production, design, that kind of stuff. Do you have a program in that? And sometimes it was really easy to find that. Um, you look at somebody like Xavier in Cincinnati, their web public website is just so laser focused on undergraduate enrollment and getting you there and nothing and not very much else is there. It's really focused on the undergraduate enrollment experience. Stuff like that made it easy. Other schools, it was really difficult to, you know, you're down four or five layers before I'm at a list of majors. You even have my program. So like why we still haven't figured that out, I don't know. He looked more on the mobile side we looked more on the desktop side um so that was pretty interesting that's consistent with all the metrics that i've been looking at over the last couple of years i mean that's yep. yeah and for the most part and again this is us but social didn't matter it it did not enter into the decision making process it did not get us to come to an event it did not get us to come to campus it did not get us to do any of that he didn't follow any any social accounts until he deposited so i don't think he was spending the time going to look at any of these schools institutional accounts as well as certainly not their enrollment accounts everything that we went to whether it was an on-campus event a regional event it's time to apply were all email communications to us so we paid very little mind to social during this process. Did you find yourself getting served any social ads at all? I didn't as a parent until post the lockdown started. Well, it sounds like a lot of shift. That's interesting. Do you have an idea of how long after? I think it was really leading up to May 1. So it was, you know, April, I was seeing ads for 
two or three of the schools that he applied to. And I don't know if that was just a list they did and and, and targeted me that way or I was getting retargeted because I was on their websites and their app portals mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> I like to think that it's because J- it was after JS and I had our episode where we told everyone that they should be advertising because no one else was. So I'll, we'll, I'm going to I'm going to claim that one. Take the credit, Joel. That's yeah, you. I'm going to claim that one. Plus one for Joel. <laughs> um, Th- thought feeder making an impact. <laughs> but he you know, I asked him today, I said, did you see a lot of ads? And he did, you know, even in the fall. But I think the main platform for him is instagram and i think whether it was a story ad or whatever it was like done swipe swipe swipe. like i don't think he paid much attention to them i would pause on them i saw them mostly on instagram mostly would just pause on them just say oh that's interesting you're getting targeted for that and i think i mentioned at the beginning or maybe before we're recording that he started getting ads for the school he's going to after he deposited so the best you know, I, I've been impressed with everything John Carroll has done. And hi, Stephanie, if you're listening. But that was just a weird thing that he started getting ads to go to school there after he deposited. Yeah, that sounds like a, just a, a little glitch in that redirection, probably that getting redirects off the website and not really setting your targeting metrics quite right. Maybe or, you know, not timing your campaigns. Yeah. You know, because I would think with all the schools that shifted to a June 1 deadline, may have messed with their campaign planning and scheduling. And I know like you can't at an individual person level, you know, go and pull Evan out of a campaign to do that. Though that happened more than you would think this fall that we applied early again, because I'm a higher ed guy and he, he was, he was on board pretty early with all of his applications, but we continued to get emails and postcards for several months from one of the schools saying it's time to apply. Like your deadline is coming up. And that's again, their online portal wasn't good or wasn't kept up to date with any of our statuses. So me as parent freaks out, but like, yeah. what do you mean? It's time to apply. Like, did you not get any of our stuff? Like, and I, that's why I have to email or try and call the counselor who I'm sure has a ton of people probably doing the same, but that just goes to like refresher lists like especially for something like targeted search that's way easier to pull somebody out of or refresh that data upload than targeted social ads Mm -hmm. so go through your campaigns work with your vendor to pull people out of of printing campaigns especially the sooner you can especially with something with print that's got a longer run than an email yeah a longer lead up time but pay attention to that because it causes confusion for families and it it kind of come out of that with like a negative brand feeling of like, why is this big school in New York city sending us things for three months that we didn't apply when we applied like the second day applications were open. Yeah. So like it, you come out of the saying, what are they doing that they like, what? So people scrub your lists and keep them clean and refresh them during the process, please. You will have much happier students and parents. What about texting campaigns? How effective were those? Absolutely zero. <laughs> Not a one. Every time there was a give us your phone number, he skipped it. So whether that was a like a few of the emails that we did want to request more info about a program or sign up for this, he ignored it. If they did at some point because we visited campus and he gave a phone number, he would not answer the phone if anybody called. And I think after a while, he learned the area codes or the numbers to say, oh, that's that's somebody from this school. I'm not answering that. So um, he texting was not a thing for us interesting and i know that a lot of people like 
you know, plug that into Slate. And that's one of the things they really like about Slate is the ability to kind of blast those out. But, you know, for us, even even the ones we applied to, he didn't really give that info out to. I think you've got to have student segmentation, right? Like it works actually decently well for adult learners, people that mm-hmm. are going back to school, maybe people that are going to grad school in some instances because they've gone through all of this before, but not every student is the same student. Not every person is comfortable with giving that information out. And I think we've even sent, we've seen trends broadly. So, well, okay. So here's the thought I had about this. How far behind are we in marketing in higher ed? You know, because we were late to the texting game in general and then everyone's like, oh, texting's working, it's working. And then all of a sudden it drops off. We had to have been five years late. You know, as far as mass adoption goes in this industry, we had to be late because now there's a rise in privacy concerns among kids, among, you know, Gen Z and and younger in a lot of ways. No, they don't want to give out that information. They want to be private. They, you know, they want to make their choices on their own or with people that they trust directly. And a lot of times that's not big organization that doesn't have a face, whether it's a university or not. Just, yeah, I don't know, something something to think about. You're right. And I think we're behind on texting. And then, you know, I think we're also late to really automating a lot of that funnel as well. Yes. You know, we saw, like, for some of the things that we did ask for, we got into a drip that night and follow up things pretty quickly. So, I mean, we're really late to that party. But I think the trick, though, for schools is finding the right balance of, like, not coming on too strong versus still being useful and helpful yeah because i think you see and you i think you maybe see it more on the grad side but you know if you fill out i'm kind of interested in your grad program like 10 minutes later you get a phone call and the email starts yeah. and the texting starts and you're like Ugh. yep like that's why <laughs> people don't want to give that info out because they know i know if i get my phone number i'm gonna get called i'm gonna I, like they just don't want to deal with it where an email you could be like yeah filter unsubscribe spam it right and and get out of there and mail is probably like whatever like recycle so i think you have to be very aware of the type of education that you're offering the type of student you attract that sort of thing because it does work for it works for for profits it works for oh, yeah. it i know that uh like national university has done really good work with following up and you know are fairly fairly high pressure without feeling high pressure which is nice but it works because of who their students are, what stage of life they're in, you know, that sort of thing. It It's maybe not going to work with a traditional undergrad no, student it, or, or with a, with a grad student who, you know, is working all that, you know, working a full-time job and is looking to expand their horizons and wants to go to a state school or to a large, you know, private school or something. Yep. And they want to do it, you know, maybe online or that kind of executive MBA, get through it pretty quickly. But yeah, those things, especially the for-profits are, like high pressure and that I don't think that works on a 17 year old kid today. I think they're too smart for that. They've seen it and I think they can see through it. Yeah. But we mentioned it really kind of briefly in passing, but I was surprised by the amount of swag boxes we got this year. Like I'm interested in them. The students love them. We're like, Hey, I got a t-shirt and a water bottle and the stuff in this big box with a bunch of confetti and whatever. Yeah. We got three of them this year. Um, Kind of out of the blue. Wait, with confetti? That sounds like a mess. Well, like like one had confetti, but what's the other kind of like shredded paper in there to hold the stuff? Like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like cut up crinkle paper? Yeah. And just really interesting that that was a thing this, this spring. And I don't know if it's just, again, pandemic stuff or what, just trying to get 
in the hearts and minds of your students who were maybe waffling or had so much other stress going on. And so the boxes were nice. And what we saw in these parents groups is that once the kids started getting them, the parents were posting pictures of them. And one of the schools did boxes like one for undecided and one for deposited students. So I could see where maybe you'd send something out to your deposit students. We did that when I was at John Carroll. But the card that was in there says, oh, we're so glad you're coming to campus. You're going to make a great musketeer or whatever. But the the undecided one was like, we hope, like, you know, we think you'd be great here. So, yes, go for the heartstrings at decision time. Don't yeah. lead with that, as I mentioned earlier. But from a ROI perspective on these boxes, like, these had to be production design swag inside there boxed up kitted yeah. mailed yep that has to be a 40 to 50 dollar yeah incentive package that i don't maybe there's some magical formula or schools were just freaked out about their classes but that just seemed like a, a really expensive piece to go unless you were really sure you were sending to your targeted students that just sat that just felt like a lot of money going out the door that you were never going to see back they had all that travel budget left over from their admissions counselors not being able to go Maybe. out. And instead of putting that into digital strategy, they put it into temporal strategy, which, you know. Well, we saved money from not having our big admitted students day. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, there's always swag at those things because yeah. I've helped order that before. But like this was like one of them had a T-shirt and a cowbell and a water bottle. Another one had, again, a T-shirt or something, a hair scrunchie, socks, a water bottle. Um, Does your son have long hair and need a hair scrunchie? No, he's got like a buzz cut. <laughs> he's a runner. <laughs> but my wife has used it. Well, there so you go. Oh, it, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was. He was pretty pumped about the socks and he's worn the T-shirts. But again, it just seemed like, I, I wonder if they're measuring the ROI on that of like, was that just one more thing that helped get people over the over the hump to make their decision? I don't know, but that was really interesting. Or even if it's a bit of looking at what other schools are doing and going, yeah. oh, school X did this, we need to have a swag box too, and feeling this pressure that because, oh, if we don't do it, we're going to miss out on, on these students who are getting swag boxes without really thinking, is this effective? Or is, is school X actually wasting money and hurting their own bottom line while well, we're smart and sending a really well-designed piece out instead. Which is which is great if you're using your slate, if you're using your slate and your CRM effectively and you're seeing that like who hasn't deposited four weeks a month out and you're giving them some kind of lead score. And I don't even know if schools are doing that, but are you looking like, are you sending this $50 box to kids who came to campus, who visited, who had an admissions visit? who came to another event, who visited your webpage, got like, maybe if you checked up all these boxes, it would make sense. But if you're just saying, look, we've got enough money for 2000 boxes, we got to send these out. That seems like just kind of throwing money away. Yeah. Again, that you said could have been used on better, yeah. smarter tar digital targeting. And some insight, my wife has been working for a custom sock maker uh, for the last year. And they saw a lot of the higher ed stuff actually even before even before lockdown they had a lot of university or a lot of a lot of the distributors that uh, that handled the universities as clients were ordering custom socks to send out and and we know that some of them went in swag bags i think there there are quite a few schools that sent them out to graduates 
And those socks aren't cheap, man. Like they, I mean, <laughs> if you know, well, it's also yeah. kind of like swag of the year, right? Like last year yeah. it was pop sockets. This year it's socks. Next year yeah. it will be I, face masks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm seeing some of that too. I mean, following some of these schools. So, you know, I, I don't follow, but kind of watch what they're doing on social and some are promoting face masks for their institutions. So maybe that'll be next year's, uh, next year's hot thing. All right, Mike. So let's finish up with one last question I want to clarify uh, with you. All right. Yeah. So you're telling me that the hashtag National Pancake Day post that the admissions office made did not affect you in any way at all? That didn't change your decision? No. <laughs> <laughs> not one bit. Um, no. Did it encourage you to have pancakes on that day? I feel like, you know what, that's the thing. In the swag bag, what they should have done is sent out a branded, like, pancake pan, you know, that would, br- or at least like a brand that you could, you could brand your pancakes with the university logo. Joe, you hit on something, though, but I, I, that I do want to ask. Like, <laughs> a lot of those swag bags and a lot of these packets do have a social element to them, like a, a banner that says, hashtag I'm going here or, or whatever. Did your son participate in any of that or or, or, or doing that once he, he decided, uh, settled on a university? Once he decided, yes. But, you know, a lot of those things were in the acceptance packets and maybe less in the swag boxes. So that's smart. Yeah. in the There was and it ranged from very small, like something I can hold up to larger kind of. 11 by 17 or larger kind of fold out that were in the in the packet to kind of hold up and those got used a lot so we saw a ton of in the parents groups of i'm sure parents are taking pictures of their own kids holding up their sign for their own socials and then they'd also throw them on the class of parent pages and so a lot of a lot of use of those but again we only used the one that he went to yeah. he didn't get accepted to let's say xavier which he did and we didn't say yeah i got into xavier so though xavier's a great school Shout out to the Jesuits. <laughs> here's here's the other piece that's been big this year is the yard sign. Oh. So don't underestimate the yard sign because what a lot of high schools are doing, because everybody closed, nobody really had in-person graduations, including us here in Avon, Ohio. The school district and the high school printed up 400 signs and delivered them to all the kids saying, I'm a class of 2020 Avon High School graduate. And so John Carroll for college. It's that's <laughs> well, um, everybody got the Avon high school graduation signs. And so everybody else around here, all the surrounding cities that have school districts, like also did their own signs for the yards again, because nobody could really graduate. I saw some of these in Austin too. Like I definitely saw some yep. of these yard signs around. Yeah. Here we got them here in Conway. Uh, but like, John Carroll, again, I'll shoot, I'll use him as an example. We're going to do kind of yard signs. And then that whole plan got derailed because of the COVID. So they did a couple and delivered them locally. And I said, yo, let me get that file because I want to print one. So it was a good, another great engagement touch point for Stephanie, the enrollment VP, to come into the parent group and say, oh, yeah, like we want to print more of these. But we ran into just, you know, everybody was off campus and we just couldn't pull it off. Here's the PDF take it to Fast Signs or Office Depot and get your own sign. And about three or four days later, everybody starts putting up their JCU 2024 signs like I have in my front yard now. But that was the next phase of the I'm holding up my JCU 2024 sign is now I've also got my yard sign. So schools for next year, think about yard signs or bigger format stuff or include a PDF that parents could get yard signs of because... That was definitely a thing this year for us. 
Mike, I want to close out by asking you to give us just like kind of a quick rundown of a wish list. You know, all these different all these different things that that you you know had issues with while you were going through this process of being a parent. What are things that you that you wish schools would do? Just you know, bullet points, fine sort of deal, but like you know, things that were missing, things that could be tweaked, um, things that things that were great, and people more people need to do. Laser focus your targeting. You have that data. It's in Slate. You have access to it. Target your stuff. Customize and personalize where you can. Don't lead with your warm and fuzzy. Save that for later. Social doesn't matter. Sorry. <laughs> um, again, that's just me. I have run social. I love doing it. Didn't pull the heartstrings one way or the other or have any impact in our decision making. One-on-one made the huge difference for us. So whether that was our enrollment counselor or faculty members, like giving us his cell phone number when we did a tour. If we had any other questions, give me a call. Like that one-on-one stuff made a lot of difference. So where you have opportunities to do that, whether it's an on-campus event, a departmental Zoom, which were awesome. John Carroll did a parents-only Zoom, no students allowed, where we could ask dumb questions and not be made fun of. (laughs) That was a great event. Like, and again, it just, because it was Zoom and we were in the living room, and we could type or turn our cameras on like that felt one-to-one. So the more one-to-one you can do, given the scale of your institution, do it. And just think about opportunities where maybe, I'm going to catch flack for this, but where can you bring your stuff back in-house and do in-house? Because we picked up pretty quickly that everything was run by five or six vendors in search and other spaces. So let's bring it in house or choose someone else. Like find, find someone else that can give you more attention, choose someone else, or maybe conversely take a more active role in the messaging that goes into those pieces because everybody getting the same form, download our special piece X after the seventh email of that in two weeks, like you see through that, that it doesn't feel special. It doesn't feel customized. And this institution really didn't take a liking to my student like they said they did so maybe this is also a call out to the vendors hey vendors treat your clients individually don't treat them like they're all the same brand like you gotta they're paying you a lot of money give them their money's worth and just don't mail merge the name gated content and enrollment vp or deans and name at the bottom because that's all a lot of this stuff felt like so it's like vendors be better schools don't be stupid like (laughs) done yes (laughs) and this might come back into like where social does matter because I don't think a lot of universities realize that there are certain parent groups floating around of parents who are applying to various schools who are sharing some of these things and going, and then, Oh, I, I didn't realize that school X is emails look exactly like school Y's until you did it back to back. Or there was a separate piece for students who were admitted versus students who were still wavering. And it looks different from what my kid got. And why didn't, why didn't my kid get, the purple t-shirt and got a yellow t-shirt or something like that. You know, they're sharing that information and we need to be aware of those conversations. Absolutely. Definitely. And also maybe segment out your parent groups. And I say that because one school put us in a parents group, but it was also all the parents of their current students. And this spring when schools were closed and there was questions about online classes and refunds and whatever, like these parents were not happy. (laughs) They were pissed. I bet it got real, real fast. Well, yeah. And what and what the thousand new parents that just 
maybe send their kids there in the fall, you come out of there with a really feeling like, wow, like the pieces that we got made it sound like this school knew what they were doing. But when you hear from the parents, they're like, what is going on at this institution? Like, I'm not sending my kid there. Like they don't, what are they doing? So again, goes back to be smarter about your targeting and your segmenting and your messaging. Don't put your parents in with your existing parents (laughs) because by the time they're juniors and seniors, they're salty. And, you know, they're going to have a very different opinion than I have of the institution now in the summer before he goes to school there. So yeah, those are kind of the, the key things. Vendors do better. Schools take a more active role. And let's maybe make Pancake Day a thing next year. I'll bring this up. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder podcast. We would appreciate a review or a rating. You can do that on iTunes Podcasts. Or I guess it's Apple Podcasts now. I don't know. They change the name all the time. And there are actually a ton of other places you can do that. If you need to find a place to subscribe to the show, visit thoughtfeederpod.com. And please follow us on Twitter at thoughtfeedpod. John Steven Stansel and I want to thank Mike Richwalski for joining us today and going over his experience as a prospective student's parent. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thought Feeder is sponsored by University Insight.